On January 25, 2017, the Institute of Mountain Research had Mike and Lily Lebecki join us for a fireside chat. This chat was formatted as a Q&A with the people at the chat. Unfortunately, we couldn't hook up everyone to a microphone, so some of the questions are a little hard to hear. The ones that were too quiet were recorded over with my voice, but we tried to keep as many of the original questions as possible. Here it is, Mike and Lily Lebecki's Mountain Stories. Okay, I hear silence, so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna roll with a few thoughts. Um, thank you guys for inviting us to come out and chat about life, about mountains, about nature, and I think most importantly, um, caring about our planet and finding ways to care about people and animals and our planet and make that part of the teamwork that we're involved with. Um, I've been very fortunate to live a pretty adventurous life. I just, this doesn't count Antarctica, the recent one, but I've just uh, completed this summer my 70th expedition around the world. And these are major exploratory type expeditions. And I've come to, like I think all of you, fall in love with nature and the mountains and people and animals and flora and fauna. And that's my religion and I think kind of Lily's as well as far as, you know, the earth and universe and just reality and part of this planet and the, the teamwork. So um, I've got a lot of stuff to talk about, but I think if you guys have any questions about myself or Lily or anything else. How did you get started in all of this? So I was born and raised near Yosemite National Park and Yosemite, have you got, who's been to Yosemite? So it's a pretty special place. I think you guys know it's also um, kind of the center of the universe for climbing in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, I just got, I got sucked into climbing basically right out of high school. Um, but, you know, to answer that question, how I got into what I do, which is also an interesting explanation, is um, I started climbing uh, when I was 18 years old, just out of high school. And I was uh, going to school following a math and physics degree. And that was kind of my hope. I really love mathematics and my mind really works in that way. And once I started climbing, I found a lot of those, this equation and mystery and constants and variables in that. My grandmother was really encouraging about um, what do I want to do? You know, not what society tells me or anything and I wanted to climb. So she encouraged me to drop out of college and move to Yosemite and climb 300 days a year. And that's kind of how it started. And that was 25 years ago. So to each their own. And one of the things I like to, as a parent, teach my daughter is that if, you, if it is a math degree that you want or you want to climb or it doesn't really matter, what do you want to do? You know, what's in your heart? What do you really have passion for? And that's something important to me, so. Um, so why, why the masks? On why the masks? On, on the, on your expedition? You know, um, that's a great question. So you've seen some of the masks around the last several years. So uh, in 1997, a friend of mine from Japan's, his dream was to climb Denali. And um, he said, hey, I'd, you know, would you go with me? And so basically um, sort of unofficially guided him on Denali. And when we got to 17 camp, he broke out these full tiger suits because it was year of the tiger coming up. And I was blown out of the water. Like, this is unbelievable. This is, I mean, these were full tiger heads, the whole suit. We're at 17,000 camp. You know, it's minus 20 degrees. It was pretty, pretty spicy. And it immediately reminded me not to take life too serious. And I was instantly smiling and laughing. And then we wore these tiger suits all the way to the summit. We were passing guided teams. And the whole time, I'll just never forget the laughter, looking at him coming up with his crampons and back to this tiger head, you know, and it just, it, I've, it's never left me that we, we need to laugh and we need to find ways to smile and laugh, whether it's masks or something else and just, just not take life too serious, you know, because I think we all think about, you know, we're all going to die. And it's like, I kind of want to laugh at stuff first and then maybe take a little more serious later. But just, that's kind of the thing is it's always brought laughter, whether it's me up there alone or with partners or sharing stories or slideshows or videos, it's, it always brings laughter. And so it's something that's pretty powerful. So. I have a question. Um, you said that your job is kind of complicated to explain. What is your job title exactly? And how do you explain it to people? <laughs> okay. Um, I would say the the way that I make a living mm -hmm. is, um, I mean, I have some fancy titles like 
National Geographic Explorer. Mm -hmm. Or um, I would basically call, call it um, OECD. So I'm, I'm diagnosed with OECD, which is Obsessive Expedition Climbing Disorder. <laughs> and that, you know, the way that I make a living, I don't know how, if you can call it job or career, but I work with many companies in the outdoor industry and I have for a long time um, developing and testing product. And it has a lot to do with marketing, you know, photos, stories, testimonials, you name it. Mm -hmm. And so m mainly the outdoor industry, but then working with really great people in the media, you know, from National Geographic to Outside Magazine. Um, so I don't know if there's a job title, but yeah. there's a lot of different ways that I can make a living and have the dreams and the passions and the expeditions funded and paid for. Um, I would like to make a note that I have no trust fund, I have no family money. Everything I've done, I've worked really, really hard for it. Mm -hmm. And so that I just like to make that point because a lot of people are like, oh, you've done all these expeditions. Well, who's paying for them? It's like, I've worked my ass off to pay for them. Right. And when I moved to Utah, um, I would work six or seven days a week, you know, 12, 13 hours a day all winter long and save up all my money and then go on climbing expeditions three or four a year and then come back heavily in debt and go back to work at the ski shop six, seven days a week. Mm -hmm. And so it was a lot of compromise and sacrifice, yet anything worth doing, I believe, has a lot of compromise and sacrifice mm -hmm. to, to get there. So, yeah. And so there were times where um, I would go on climbing. Uh, there was one season I came back from climbing expeditions and I was $42,000 in debt on three credit cards. And I was just like, fuck it, I'm doing it. And it was a really, I mean, it was a really interesting situation, but I was completely dedicated and obsessed with going on these trips and climbing and being in places no one's ever been before. And it really has become an obsession. I mean, ask Lily, I get pretty grouchy if I'm not back out on a trip pretty soon. So it's, it's, um, it's an interesting lifestyle, but it's something special for sure. But I mean, you know, Lily's really opened my eyes in a lot of ways because she started, her first expedition was to Antarctica. It was a skiing expedition when she was 11. And then we did Kilimanjaro and we just recently did um, 155 miles in Nepal and in a month. And it was all, she was kind of like, dad, you know, these expeditions are really cool. And, but how are we giving back to the planet? And it has been a very selfish pursuit over the years, doing these expeditions, working with all these companies, having a lot of fun, but it was, hey, we're going to climb a first descent. And when you start thinking about it, it's like, okay, great, that's really cool, but what, you know, how are you giving back from that experience? You know, you're going out into the wilderness, you're making an impact on the wilderness. You know, how can we offset that? How can you give back? And so um, having Lily just kind of like, hey, let's, let's, you know, can we do a humanitarian project on this trip? And it's like, oh, yeah, let's do that. And so we've been really sort of focusing on every trip, every effort we can, how can we give back to the community and, and the planet? So I'm inspired by this girl right here. <laughs> but I, th I think on that note, um, and Lily, you can talk about it if you want, but, you know, I think you don't have to be into the outdoors to be, giving back to our planet. I mean, I have friends that are video gamers. Maybe there are some here that all they do is play video games. You know, these are friends from high school, yet they go out of their way to volunteer at the Humane Society or go down to a homeless shelter and volunteer. And it's like, I think there's an incredible shift for maybe this generation right here or Lily's generation or the next to think about, it really doesn't matter what we're doing, if we're pursuing our own passions, if we're in wilderness, if we're video gamers, but if we're all doing something that is giving back to community or animals and planet, we're forming an incredible amount of teamwork. And everything is about teamwork in a way. You know, and so there's something to be said about, like when I was growing up, you know, a normal Saturday would be watching cartoons, eating a bowl of cereal, um, going to my soccer game, whatever it is, playing with friends, riding my BMX bikes down to the, you know, the half pipe, whatever. I didn't grow up knowing that it's normal for you to do something to give back this weekend to your community. And so I think one of the things we're trying to work on with the Joy and Earring Fund, and that's the nonprofit that Lily just started, is how can we make a shift to where 
as new generations are growing up, it's absolutely just normal that you're doing something to give back every weekend or every day or every month, whatever those parental uh, or whoever's in charge. But like, I think a shift of, of giving back, doing something for your community and plant, it should become normal. Like that's as normal as anything else that we're doing. Eating healthy, taking, you know, making smart choices, you name it. So it's a big discussion, but um, I'm really inspired, especially with uh, Trump being in office now, that we need to start kicking some fucking ass and communicating and getting people psyched to do to do good in however we can with our community and people. And so I, you can see I'll ramble on all day, and this is very important to me now as a dad, you know, seeing my daughter grow up. And, yeah, I just, you know, there's teamwork. I think it all comes down to teamwork, you know. So, Lily, how did you come up with the idea for journeying? Where did it come from, and then like, where do you want to go with it? What are you excited about for it? Um, I first came up with the idea of having my own nonprofit when I went on my first expedition to uh, Tanzania, where we went to an orphanage and we installed solar panels and lights and gave them computers. And just seeing like the joy in all the kids' faces and seeing the light that it brings to people it just made me happy and made me want to do more of it. So um, I figured start a nonprofit and start helping more and more people globally. So yeah. <laughs> Where like do you have an area in the world that you like are really passionate about helping or is it everywhere? Everywhere. <laughs> well that's good. Yeah. And you know we started this nonprofit um, just out of the the simple idea that um, I've met a lot of people and worked with a lot of people who want to be part of giving back and doing something local or global level so what i was saying is you know we don't know anything about a nonprofit organization the only thing i know is oh hey if we start this and there's so many people that i know that want to support give back programs and especially now they're like oh your daughter is small like what can we do can we donate money and so we have an opportunity to bring in funds and we're looking for teamwork so we officially just got this nonprofit done like a month ago, all the paperwork, all the lawyer stuff, everything. And this is a really organic situation for us. We have no expertise at all, except that we want to be the classic, be the change you want to see. You know, we want to do our part. Hopefully if we're doing our part, we get other people excited to do their part. Or maybe one of you guys contacts me after this, like, oh, hey, we got this idea. I don't have the, a lot of time on my hands. Lily's busy, she's in school, the whole deal. We're looking for teamwork of ways that we can give back. We just um, went you know, down to a couple places where a lot of homeless people hang out in Salt Lake and we took 500 sleeping pads, we took 1,000 jackets. Um, we have so many things that we can do, whether it's on a small scale locally or globally. Um, we're, we're just trying to learn our way into how can we give back? What can we do to be part of that change? and hopefully we'll meet people and learn. And, and the thing I do know is we have a lot of support uh, with a lot of companies that I've worked with over the years who are saying, what can we do? How can we give back? Yes, here's 10,000 fleece jackets. Can you take them to people that need them? Or here's 8,000 pounds in solar equipment. Can you find people that need electricity that don't have it? Or here's $200,000 in computers. Do you know kids that need these computers? Yes, we do. And so we're trying to find a way to get teamwork together to make a difference, to do our part. And it's, um, it's kind of a cool thing thinking about talking with you guys tonight because we want to we meet people who have experience in nonprofit organizations. We want to understand what it takes to do this. We do have the legal status. We can take in money. But we're, we're wanting to learn, just like in anything, in climbing, in skiing, you name it, our minds are open to learn more about this, but we know that our hearts are in it to, to make a difference and that we have very fortunate lives. Everyone standing here, all of our lives here are pretty fucking sweet. And it's like, how can we do our part to extend that joy, you know, that joy and earring that, that we have? How can we extend that to other people? And it's, it's pretty important. So how did the trip in Nepal go? Like, really, what was your part in planning it? How did your dad help you? What did you guys do? Or where did you go? <laughs> where in Nepal? <laughs> We'd have to probably get the list out of 
villages, but it was all through the Solu Kumbu Kumbu Valley, and uh, eventually up. We went and did some climbing as well. So all the trips are adventure-based, but humanitarian is the nucleus. Um, but we did 154 miles on foot. We installed, I think, close to 6,000 pounds of solar energy in um, 10 different villages, several schools, community centers. Um, we took 40 new computers. Uh, to, and these kids had no electricity, no computers. Now they can get online and learn about the world, so they now have modems and internet. Um, but that's kind of some, an example where we've found out that we have the opportunity to take solar energy, which is really important to people that don't have electricity. And also, and people may agree or disagree with this, but um, we have a good opportunity to bring Dell computers to the people that need them and huge support. And I feel like we all have phones, we all have internet, we, we can learn about anything in the world instantly. And I feel like everybody should have that technology to learn about the world. I mean, there's these kids, we're going to Peru for a month in June. We got a, a big humanitarian project planned there. Um, all the funding is coming in and we're going down to give these orphans that have no computers, they don't have electricity, they don't have internet, and they're going to, all of a sudden, we're building three computer centers, like the whole building, the, we're getting it funded, we have a ton of support down there. These kids are going to be able to go get online and watch a Disney movie. You know, I mean, we all get to do this stuff. I and mean, they're going to be able to learn about Antarctica when they don't even know it exists. And so, they're, I mean, the conversation is endless. We're really excited about the solar energy aspect and bringing computers and internet to people that don't have it. And it's like, it's sign of the times. We should all have that available to us for, for joy, for education, you name it. So it's pretty cool. How do you pick where you want to do your humanitarian work? Because obviously there's endless amounts of places that need help. It's, it's been through um, people that I know been asking around like, hey, we want to do this trip. Is there any kind of, um, do you know any, any way we can help? It's been word of mouth, like just mm -hmm. talking with people, networking um, a number of different ways, just, just basically asking people about mm -hmm. it. Um, one of the main things here locally, um, there's the Human Outreach Project, and Dean Cardinal is the owner of that, and uh, he's a good friend of mine, and he's um, had a lot of information about orphanages and community centers and schools that have needed a lot of help. So he's been a main part of finding out where we can take this, this support to. But it's expanding huge. I mean, I'm getting contacted by a lot of people now. Like, uh, we just got contacted um, by a woman in Iran, and they've got a bunch of orphanages there. It's about 12,000 kids. So we're working on next year uh, to bring them all solar and energy and new computers. And um, But it's also stemming out to where uh, there's a couple villages in Guyana. <laughs> Guyana's incredibly poor. Uh, they have no government support, and these people live out in the middle of nowhere. They don't even have soap. And so a simple um, cut can turn into losing a limb or your death if you just don't have soap to wash out your wound. So there's a lot of different things that we're learning about and getting a little overwhelmed with how much, you know, oh my gosh, there's so much we can do. And so we're trying to, you know, we have a website coming up for the Joyneering Fund. And we're just trying to be part of the team, you know, and who, who knows where it'll go. We do know we have a lot of support and we want to channel that out. So what lessons have you learned sort of to surprise you in the process of getting this thing started? Um, I think the same lessons that I get from life and climbing, you know, patience, optimism. But on the other hand, um, you know, there's that saying, those good things come to those who wait. And I'm going to just call bullshit on that and say you got to kick ass and work your ass off to get what you want to get. And so it, same thing in climbing, same thing as trying to help people that really need it. It's a lot of work and time and energy. And, but it's hands down way more rewarding than any climb I've ever done to be bringing joy to people and you know, helping them have a better quality of life. So it's a big, big wake up call for me. So. What are some of your most memorable expeditions for whatever reason? Skiing with Lily in Antarctica, first descent. Um, being roped up, going over crevasses with my 11-year-old daughter, who's that tall at that time. Being on. Were you scared out there? No, we had a good team. It was safe. Um, 
how many countries have you been to now? 21. 21. Traveling with her is my favorite thing. But some of the most memorable are, are um, of course, anything with my daughter. But I do a lot of solo trips. Being out there alone is pretty powerful, especially if you have a polar bear sniffing at your tent or something. And you're like, okay, it's time to, you know, be careful. Yeah. You ever get political pushback if you say, you know, hey, we want to go to rural Iran? Does anyone ever, from our government, ever um, I haven't been to Iran, but we are planning that trip there, and it looks like um, everything I know and the people that have been there and friends that I have that I'm in contact with, I think it's a really safe place, actually. And that's usually my first thought. I've done um, trips to Yemen and Afghanistan and every stand that you exists. And my experience has always been very positive. There's been some interesting close calls. There's been some permissions and visas and mayhem with political whatever. And it could get worse now. You know, who knows? We'll see what. But our government's never given you a hard time. Um, not necessarily. I've been detained and questioned and pulled in by CIA and this and that. And like, why did you go to Afghanistan three times and then straight to northern Russia and blah, 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 and then to Yemen? And like, what's the deal? And it was kind of like, it's OECD, you know, <laughs> it's climbing. So there's been some fun, actually some fun conversations with government and CIA and um, some interesting situations for sure. Yeah, it's the political process has been really, um, actually really cool just to like, I don't know, go through that stuff, all the red tape and be detained and questioned and, you know, really kind of weird. But yeah, part of the adventure, I think, part of the mystery, I think, yeah. Yvonne Chouinard and Peter Metcalf and a bunch of other um, executives from outdoor companies have written some op-ed articles about um, some of the protection of wilderness from Utah's um, that um, were signed by President Obama. I was wondering what your thoughts on some of those uh, those articles and um, your thoughts on whether or not um, the OR show should stay here, should move, or um, anything along those lines. Um, you know, I have read some of those, you know, not in super detail, but um, I definitely like where, you know, Yvonne has come from. Um, I haven't read much from Peter's responses, but um, I, I don't have enough information to respond on it. But if, if Utah isn't going to step up and protect and do what they're supposed to do etiquette-wise and ethic-wise, then fuck Utah, you know? I mean, it's like, excuse my language, but it's like, it's teamwork. If we're all not going to step up and if it's all going to be about money and profits and bullshit, then, I mean, it doesn't matter, you know? And so, but I, I haven't read, but I've seen, you know, I've sort of, scanned through some of the articles and heard a little bit about it. Do you have, could you share with us um, some more of the hot topics of, of some of the details of that? Um, more, uh, most of what I've read just centers on um, the idea that um, currently the Utah legislature and Utah government's working towards suing the federal government over um, the protection of lands that <coughs> Utah says should be um, Utah's to deal with in order to, to sell off or do with what they please or manage however they wish. Um, and a lot of the, the, um, you know, the <laughs> what what a lot of people are scared of is being sold off for oil and gas leases. Mm -hmm. I mean, things like so bears ears and yeah, yeah, yeah. So those places don't become um, aren't actually protected and they're under um, state control. And so um, I think one side of the the argument is that um, Utah's lands can be governed better by Utah, and others say no, these places need to be protected. Um, and I think a lot of where um, Peter and Yvonne were coming from were saying, hey, these have been protected, we need to protect them um, in order to show how big of an economic impact the um, OR show and the outdoor industry has here in Utah. We <laughs> kind of flex that muscle in order to yeah. say, hey, these are the places that we care about. This is what draws a lot of um, income into Utah, and this is something that we need to take more seriously. So unless Utah stands up, um, the outdoor industry is saying, screw you guys, we're going to go somewhere else, spend our money somewhere else. Because I read the one article from Yvonne. But I didn't read Peter Metcalf's, but that I like Patagonia's stance. I mean, obviously, Patagonia sets the standard for the best etiquette you can imagine in the industry, in my opinion. And um, but I, I do remember reading he was like, step up or we're out, you know, which is pretty cool leadership role to set. You know, I like that. And so that's a great example for all of us, right, to really stay true to our beliefs. And like, I mean, Patagonia just what an incredible leadership that is, you know, and um, Hopefully Utah does the right thing, but Utah is an interesting state for sure, you know, as you guys probably know, and especially coming from conservation and environmental issues and, you know, 
This is kind of more for you, Lily. So now with this nonprofit going and you know, you've been on a couple different expeditions, what's it like balancing school and now this nonprofit? Um, I it's not really a big deal. I keep up with schoolwork because if I don't have straight A's, I can't really travel. So that's the deal, but it's it's fine. It's not yeah. So do you kind of schedule the expeditions around your school then? Uh, yeah, we usually go on big trips in the summer <laughs> or like whenever I have breaks. But yeah. What's your favorite like mountain story that you have? Like something either like goofy or like really special. Um, the first thing that came to mind when you said that was <laughs> when we were just checking on a trail in the Himalayas and there was this giant tarantula and a giant hornet and they were just kind of fighting and going at it and the hornet stung the tarantula and paralyzed it and then it just kind of dragged it off. <laughs> it was full nature channel scene. It was, That's cool. amazing. It was really cool. That's yeah. crazy. And then I'm also curious, so I was also at that um, conference that Anna was at back in, I don't know, March, um, but you talked about all these sayings that you have or like the sayings that you say when you like reach the peak of something. I just remember that being in a video and I was wondering if you could um, quote some of your own quotes. You mean just the strange Lebeckisms? I mean stuff that I think we all can relate with like yeah. you know time is now and life is sweet and death and or old age is coming and there's no excuses you know I mean I'm I studied Buddhism for a long time yeah. and I really left with and if any of you who've read a lot about Buddhism, you know, just the moment of now, but then there's a lot of people that, you know, really get stuck on this, okay, we're all, we're all dying, like we're all going to die. And it's just, I think that the, it comes from, it's not just life, but it's the quality of this life. And I think as humans and the gift of reality, we need to have a super badass quality life and give everything we've got. And um, what's the quote for the joinering fund you came up with? Um, in a world where you can be and do anything, be kind and do good. And, and so that's kind of Lily's coin phrase there, and it's like, I think that nails it. You know, it's like all of us standing here have opportunity to do whatever the hell we want to do, you know, in any which way. And it's like, let's be kind and do good, and let's, you know, let's laugh, let's have some fun. And, and um, yeah, definitely humbled by traveling around the world and you know, it's really starting to hit me harder every day that, okay, I just was hanging out with guys in a village that they don't have clean water. They don't have, so, I mean, it's just, uh, I think we need to, anyways, sorry, losing it. Those quotes, it's, it really has to do with just living a sweet life and that we have the opportunity to, to, to do so and that we should, we should start the shift that it's teamwork. We've got to start giving back more. Given know. the fact that, like, global climate change means a lot of storms do you think like with joyneering you would consider disaster relief too or is that not necessarily something you want to get tangled up in if it's if it's being kind and doing good that's the goal what you know who knows what i mean right now we sort of organically came into solar yeah. solar energy people need, don't have electricity and this affects when it gets dark people come in and steal and rape and, you know, I mean, like with lights, it changes their whole scene that if they can see. So it's not just like convenience or pleasure. It's like actually a safety issue, you know, or like, I mean, there's so many things that having electricity by solar panel can change people's lives. Like their cows and chickens aren't getting stolen because they have solar energy and they have lights all night that they can see. And so there's all kinds. Of, and that, that's a real powerful one that we like because I work with Gold Zero. You guys probably know who they are. They're local here. And they started as a give back program. That's how the company started by helping people have solar energy. And so there's a lot of people that need lights for the better quality of life. So that's one thing. So maybe a disaster relief comes up where the companies I have connections with, maybe you contact me, you're like, hey, check this out. We want to help them. I'm like, oh, well, Dell Computers just gave us, you know, a huge six figure number to find good things to do. Let's do this. You know, it's really, no hidden information it's like what can we do how can we communicate you know the the networking and communication is is what it's all about and so really just open minds just trying to be that classic thing you know be the change we want to see we want to be part of it you know so 
what systems do you put in place when you're like bringing solar panels and computers to like orphans? What do you put in place to make sure that that's like sustainable for them and that they can keep that going and not just have it like a one-hit wonder kind of deal? Yeah, that's a great point. So our one of our ideas is that we would like to generate funds, but personally for us, we want to go out and be hands-on. So we want to install, we want to check, we want to see it, and then. Um, of course we're going to stay in touch and they ha we have full communication. So the solar energy will last 15 to 20 years. The computers can last that long possibly, but the idea is if something goes wrong, we'll go replace it. And we ha we're in communication with leaders of every village, of every orphanages, every orphanage. And so that's absolutely 100% no doubt that we can replace, we can fix, we can take stuff back, we can do further um, you know, maintenance. But it's just not a, a one-hit deal like, oh, we feel so good, you know, we went and did this great project, but this is long-term deal, for sure. And everyone in, involved knows that as well. Is there a way that you could maybe like train community members to like do maintenance and upkeep of these? I mean, like it's definitely technology that could break down at some point or whatever. Like is there yeah. a way that you could like make that like a community source effort? Yeah, so Absolutely. And um, so what we've done on two of the biggest projects we've done in Africa and Nepal, we brought a couple engineers with us and full repair kits, full maintenance kits and taught the local leaders or teachers how to do this or that. And, and so um, absolutely, that's part of it. Full training, full maintenance kits, full repair kits, everything you can imagine. And then, of course, installing it, waterproofing it, you know, testing it the whole bit before we leave. And so the goal is absolutely sustainability yeah and we're trying to do everything we can to make sure of that that's a great question because it isn't just oh hey we did something we feel good about ourselves let's go it's like this is long-term deal no doubt about it we're in touch with locals and we can ship stuff very easily and then they know what to do with it they know how to set it up they know how to run it and then having the support from people like dell computers or goal zero for example you know, them making sure that, okay, hey, we're going to send a couple engineers, we're going to make sure this is sustainable, et cetera, or hey, if anything breaks down, you have our commitment to replacing that equipment. So, absolutely, 100%. And at least, and I think the whole point is, our efforts are there. You know, like, we're trying to do this, and so that question will spark, okay, you know, we've heard this from a lot of people now, because we get that question a lot, and a lot of people say it, and it's like, we need to absolutely make sure that we have replacement stuff. So we'll leave an extra crate of six panels and four of the 1250s that if something breaks down or when they die, they can plug in a, fr a fresh new one and continue. Because some of these places are relying on this solar energy and they're gonna get used to that and lean on that. Like, okay, we've got someone in labor. Okay, we've got a backup system. We can plug in the other Yeti and we've got lights again if the, the other one failed. So we're trying to think of and it really comes from a climbing mentality. So when you make an anchor in climbing, it's not 99%, it's 100% or not. And so that's some of the focus here is, how do we make it 100% mathematically sound? You know, that it's absolutely gonna work. And there are ways to do that with really incredible professionals that I'm learning from, like the engineers. This is how you're gonna do it. Okay, is it 100% or not? No, so we're going to leave two backup systems, and those can be trickle charging at the same time, so they're never going to run out. If they have 10 days of storms, they're going to have enough solar storage to run those lights at the hospital. So all kinds of discussions and trying to make it 100%. So I guess besides logistical and um, physical challenges, what are some of the larger cultural challenges that you've experienced in both humanitarian and um, personal climbing expeditions? Um, humanitarian work, most of the, my cultural experiences have been incredibly positive. Um, I did have a couple close calls in Afghanistan. There are some people around the world that can do some crazy stuff, you know, if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, but for the, I think one of the, I mean, to be quite honest, um, when Bush was president, I had a lot of trouble traveling in some interesting places because the first thing they would ask, do you support Bush? And it was there was some violence and some mayhem that has went down because of political concerns. I don't really know um, how to go into the culture house, but m my, most of my experience with all cultures have been super kind, awesome, wonderful people that are just like you and I with families and friends and joy and happiness and um, really unique experiences. Like 
you know, being served an ox penis for dinner or, um, you know, <laughs> some really interesting cultural challenges like that. So, <laughs> uh, no, it was, that was a rough one. So, so I don't, cultural experiences, yeah. Pretty much the best part about the entire lifestyle is people and meeting people around the world, no doubt about it. Yep. Um, one of my favorite stories uh, that I heard when I first uh, heard about you was your uh, Greenland trip when you found out you were going to have Lily. Uh, would you mind giving us a summary of that trip and how that was for you? And um, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, so I was going on an expedition and Lily was com was on the way and it was, um, you know, it was a solo trip. So I went out to Greenland. I was going for six weeks by myself and, um, I did, yeah, I didn't know what to think. And I had an interesting experience with a polar bear. I was, yeah, some storms came in and, you know, it was delirium and mayhem. And um, honestly, even though I realized I was going to be a father, I didn't know what that meant until she was born. And am I the only parent here? Most likely, yeah. So it's like the just the just the idea of okay, you know, we're gonna have a child. There was no way to comprehend that until she was, you know, here. And so on that trip, I wasn't really thinking about that because it was a pretty dangerous time, and I was by myself. And that that was also a really crazy trip where I saw a polar bear murdered. You know, I witnessed a, you know, and that was. That was really fucked up. And Lily's not allowed the word allowed to say the F word, but she hears me say it all the time, just so you know. So <laughs> But I just you know, my language is what it is and I'm starting to get more pissed off and more angry, which is a good thing about some of the things going on in politics and environment and I'm just yeah, it's and you know, I'm trying to to, to balance and, and communicate in ways and it's as you guys know, I mean it's our political situation is a little frightening right now, and I'm an utter optimist, and so um, it's you know it's frightening, it's it's, it's scary stuff. But um, yeah, yeah, just every day learning about something new. It's like, but as an as an utter optimist, I think the universe is gonna step in and take care of the situation somehow, some way. Yeah, you know. Do you have any advice for these folks on their climbing in terms of how they can find their own spots for optimism and hope? You know, I, I really think, and this, you know, when you say that, I think, I think a lot about how the things I tell my daughter and the things I think that I, I want her to know. And I think that first and foremost, just making the absolute best out of every situation. And, and optimism, I think, is so important and so real, you know, and... Um, I said, you know, I, I say these things and I do a lot of public speaking and a lot of presentations. So I have a lot of things that I say over and over, but, um, you know, it really is that I love that whole theory about there is, it, it really, I really think optimism. I'm not going to give you guys all this blah, blah, blah. I mean, I think optimism is absolute key. Attitude is so key. And um, it's like the whole pre-joy and joy theory that a couple of you have heard. It's like those shitty days is just pre-joy, you know, it's just another form of joy getting to the ultimate joy, you know, and, and um, you know, advice for me is I don't know how to give that because I'm still learning every day and I'm still being inspired by people I meet and see every day. And so I think the laughter and the joy is important. What's next? Do you guys have any big trips planned? <coughs> Uh, yeah, this summer we're going to go to Peru for a couple weeks, and uh, I think we're going to do Machu Picchu at a different peak, but then we're going to uh, do a humanitarian project there, um, and what are we, are we building like a community center and solar panels there? So. Yeah, the goal is to do one computer center building, and um, actually construction starts on that next month. Um, but we found out there's two other places that need them, so um, I'm heading out next week to meet with a couple people to get funding for that. So we're trying to we're trying to do the solar panel computer thing I talked about with internet, with satellite connections, and really br give people that component of education and safety with 
having lights in their life. So, um, I did want to note that, um, you know, Lily has a lot of opportunity to travel because of a lot of the connections I have in the industry, outdoor industry and the media I work with and really, really amazing opportunities. And I have this rule and it's maybe I'm actually don't know how you guys feel about it, but my whole thing with Lily is like, if you don't have straight A's, you can't travel. And that might be kind of harsh, but I think what it, you know, I really am trying to make sure that she knows we have to earn this in some way and she can do her chores and she has to do good in school to earn, to even do the humanitarian trips, to travel around the world because it's expensive, it's committing. We have a lot of support from a lot of people that are have, putting faith in us to do these expeditions and adventures and have something positive come from it, have something that is not just a selfish adventure and we're really trying to change that. But as a dad, I'm trying to make sure she has to earn it. You know, it's not just, hey, here's all this money, let's go do this. We're really trying to do something quality and do something that is not bullshit. And, you know, we're all, we're, I'm open to feedback from anyone about things. You know, this is totally open-minded life that we're living and we're really trying to do stuff that's quality. And it's like, you asked me about the quotes, you know, it's, it's not just life, it's the quality of this life. And I think that we have a responsibility being alive to, to follow through with that, you know. Have you gotten a lot of pushback from folks? Um, there's haters out there in every aspect of the world, you know, for sure. Yeah, like, oh, you won Father of the Year Award. Well, I think you're the worst father because you're going on suicide missions on these climbing trips. And that's an example, you know. <laughs> or the only reason you can even go on these trips is because you're a trust funder. And so I talk about these things because I'm listening to people and I'm trying to make sure that, hey, we're just trying to have a sweet life and, you know, try to give back and do good. And, um, yeah, I mean, you guys asked us to come out and talk, so I'm just kind of sharing random thoughts that come to surface. Like, no, you know, what's what I want. you know, let's get some, let you like, where's the questions? Where's the hard questions? Where's the darkness? Let's talk about it. I mean, I, you know, it's like, this is a discussion. What, you know? are, what have been like some of the really low, difficult points? Like you mentioned coming back to credit card debt. Like, did you ever think that like maybe you were making a mistake or like what have been some of the biggest challenges for you? Um, well, yeah, financially has been the biggest hurdle until I was started working. You know, I kept at it and started working with people where I could get support, could get funding, could make a living out of it. And I'm still very much in debt, by the way, but no regrets as far as that goes. And so the optimism is really intense. But, you know, there's um, going on these expeditions, these adventures, there's tough sides to it. I mean, I'm a single dad. Um, it's really hard on relationships. Um, you know, there's a lot of work behind the scenes. It's not, it, I mean, there's a lot of compromise and sacrifice. And I, but I think that goes with anything, really. Um, but um, that's the optimism and the joy and the positive attitude is really, really important. But yeah, I think if you are going to pursue passion, there's going to be some challenges. Can you talk about a moment when your optimism failed? You know, it's really hard to bring me down. And I actually have friends that will get pretty frustrated with me and that I'm so optimistic. Oh, you broke your leg. Congratulations. You can start playing the banjo, you know, and it's like something good is going to, you know, because I mean, th if you think about it, it, if you make the best out of every situation, I mean, the time is now, whatever happens, that's what you got, you know, what else can you do? I mean, okay. So the pre-joy and joy, it's a very optimistic attitude. Okay, we're having a shitty day, bad hair day, you don't feel good, whatever's going on. Trump is elected president, whatever. But there's a, there's a whole other thing. If, you know, I'm not gonna sit there and say, oh, this is just pre-joy if some, a family member or a friend dies or gets in an accident or gets hurt. I mean, it, you know, there's certain things where, okay, this is real, this is horrible, this is tough. But most situations, I think we can find optimism and positivity and bring good from that situation. That's, that's my experience, I think, you know? And I get, I get pretty pissed off and pretty angry and really frustrated with negative attitudes because I don't know if, I think being alive, especially anyone standing here and gosh, anyone, most people around the world, it's an honor and privilege to be healthy and alive and breathing and it's pretty real, you know?
Have you ever gotten sick in another country before? Many times. And so I think the best invention possibly of the 20th century are, I think 20th century is antibiotics. Saved me many, many times. I mean, water hose up my ass, throwing up, blood coming out. I mean, just, and then all of a sudden antibiotics, it's like, oh, everything's fine. You know, if not, you could die or you have to, you know, go to a serious hospital for in, in very strange places, you know, or, yeah, definitely. No major injuries, but a lot of sickness. Yeah. Actually, I've never had really an injury ever on a trip, which I've been pretty fortunate. So, yeah. But my, my med kit's pretty dialed. I think there's seven antibiotics, four ways to take morphine, every pain killer, killer you can think of. I mean, do about everything but take out an appendix, you know, which is pretty key. So. You do a lot of solo trips, but when you put a team together, what do you think about in terms of putting a team? Um, for me, the definition of utter solitude is solo, for sure. Like being out in nature by myself. There's no other way to have solitude in my mind, but going out with friends is the best ever. You know, it's just different. Some people, you know, with the solo trips are like, are you antisocial and introvert? And I'm like, I don't even know what those words mean. It's just, I I'm pretty good friends with myself. You know, have fun. we have fun. <laughs> but no, going out with friends in nature, you guys know there's what's better than that. Laughing or skiing or climbing or just seeing a sunset, you name it, you know. Being out with your dogs, you know. What are some of the places you're most eager to go to? There's a place called um, Novaya Zemlya. Anyone know where that is in northern Russia? Um, and it's the last, um, it's one of the, I think it's the only ice, permanent ice cap that hasn't been traversed. And for me, I really like climbing first ascents or like trying to do an objective that hasn't been done because it really has a lot of mystery involved. Like, okay, I can't research it. I can't, I don't really know. So it's why the first ascents have kind of come up, come up. But I love the, I think the idea of mystery equaling adventure is really important. And so that's a place no one's ever been to or skied across or, you know, there's rumors of old nuclear submarine, you know, graveyard there. And it's really hard to get to. I've been trying to get permission to go there for, gosh, seven or eight years now and been denied. And But there's several places I haven't got permission for years and finally get it. So I like the... Um, I sort of like that, you know, you can't, I can't have it, so I want it kind of thing, as far as expeditions go. Um, some places on the border of China and Kyrgyzstan that are really restricted. There's two other places in Afghanistan, big, huge mountains that I saw that I want to go back to. Um, yeah, there's all kinds of places, lots of places with Lily. Going and traveling with her is super fun. I've never been to New Zealand, and she hasn't either, so I really want to go to New Zealand. Has anyone been to New Zealand? Heard it's pretty cool. <laughs> so how many I want to go to Hobbiton yes. and hang out at, at Frodo's or you know Bilbo's house and chill out. You know. How many countries have you been to? Uh, good question. About a hundred. I tried count, tried counting them up a while back, but yeah, about a hundred or so. Of all of these places, is there one place that we need to go to? Um. Well, Yosemite National Park is one. I lived, I lived in Yosemite for five years climbing, and you know, so it's a special place to me, for sure. Um, gosh. Antarctica, Greenland, for sure. Greenland is a pretty special place. Um, I could ramble on almost every place, but uh, I think Middle East and Central Asia is pretty important. Definitely an eye-opener, for sure. So what are some of your tools for separating objective risk and subjective risk for when you're doing big wall ascents? Because if you're doing those solo, then you kind of have to be on your game with that. What are, what are the ways that you've, you've gained those skills? Uh, well, the ways I've, I've gained the skills were living in Yosemite for years and having climbing partners who were like, will you lead every pitch? And leading a lot of, and so even a lot of the expeditions I do, I'll lead all the pitches or um, solo, obviously, I'm leading, cleaning, doing the whole bit. But I, I think, uh, I think these trips are 100% mathematically safe. You just can't make a mistake. People will debate that all day long, but I have to believe that. That 
you know, I've turned around from a lot of climb or a lot of summits for sure. No doubt, with no worries, no, not even caring, you know. And so I think um, no summit's worth death, in my opinion, you know. So, but it's hard to identify the line between dangerous and too dangerous. And if you start seeing over that line of too dangerous, time to turn around, kind of thing. Do you ever write journals or take pictures of the trips you go on? Yeah, uh, a lot of photos, a lot of videos, stuff, um, a lot of writing. I don't keep a journal anymore, actually. I used to um, do a handwritten journal, and looking back at those is pretty wild to read that stuff. But it, after just getting cameras and video cameras, it's more just documented that way. But yeah, those journals are definitely locked in a safe. <laughs> Weird, weird stuff. <laughs> How do you deal with language when you travel alone in other countries? There's been a lot of times, yeah, like Afghanistan, I've had to hire translators or going into remote Papua New Guinea or Kyrgyzstan or, you know, trying to find someone who can help with that. But then there's a lot of times not and you just smiling. communicate by, yeah, smiling and eating and hanging out and, you know. Um, I guess, you know, if you guys want to check out, um, I'd really love it if you'd check out joyneeringfund.org, uh, which is all, it's like two websites, but they go, go to Joyneering Fund, and we'd love to get feedback. We'd love it if you'd sign up for a newsletter, because um, we've been working on this for a long time, as some of you know, and we're starting to get a lot of momentum and really get this together and have opportunities to, to work with people who are psyched to be a part of doing cool stuff for other people or animals or the planet, conservation, you know, we want to we want to connect with cool people and have fun and give back and we'd love it if you guys would check out the website. It's just up on a temporary page, but you can sign up so we have your information and you can learn about some of the stuff we're doing. Um, the trips that we'll be doing, you guys can go. Anyone can go on these trips. You just pay your own way and you come have fun with us. Um, and I think because uh, you're getting cold, right? I'm getting my feet. My feet are getting. We're gonna take off here soon, but I think I I just want to leave with the uh, that real question that my grandmother um, left with me, and that's just you know why ration passion in any aspect. And my grandmother really taught me about what do you want to do, you know, and and that was a cool question from her, you know. A big thanks to Mike and Lily Lebecki and all the guests who stood out in the cold to participate in this fireside chat. Also, a big thanks to everyone who took the time to listen to this podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Look out for our next episode. Mm -hmm.